Welcome to the Pandora Podcast, where fellowship-trained pain specialists Dr. Melissa Cady and Dr. Kevin Cucaro reveal the secrets of pain care, including harmful practices, healthy tips, and the hope found through the science of pain. Please note, this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not constitute a physician-patient relationship. Please discuss your medical issues with your personal health professional. For more information and free resources, visit Pandora.com. Now on to the show. Welcome to the Pandora podcast. I am Dr. Katie, and I'm joined by Dr. Kevin. And of course, we, we love to bring you different types of uh, topics to discuss. And of course, it incorporates pain or challenges in some way, um, hence Pandora podcast. But ultimately, we like to bring people hope and a little bit of maybe inspiration, but also information to give you a better perspective on how to look at some of these challenges we have within medicine or with our own health. And um, I'm sure uh, Dr. Kevin would agree that uh, we really, really truly want to bring you um, this type of of information that can help you make better choices for yourself or those that you care and are around you. And Welcome, Dr. Kevin. I haven't talked to you in a couple of weeks. I'm glad we're <laughs> doing this again. <laughs> Has been a couple of weeks. Yeah, we I were know. good for a while, and then uh, you know these holiday things kind of kick in since it's we're recording this right in the middle of the holiday season. Of course, so. of course. Well, you know, it, there was a couple things we were going to talk about today, but I thought it was, you know, sometimes we just run into certain conversations during the day and our work or our discussions with people and. One in particular, uh, we just started tapping into, we decided we're just gonna record this, as a gastroenterologist that I worked with today, I had a lot of um, teenagers, um, and, and we started seeing these patterns that run in society that have, you know, they have certain types of diagnoses and medications, and they're going through all these interventions that tend to be more invasive to try to figure out you know, of course, in a gastroenterologist, obviously see a lot of abdominal pain. Um, and I'll, I'll give my two cents on, on kind of the situation that I see a lot. And that is, there's a lot of people taking pills for symptoms. And uh, a very big trend uh, has been, you know, the ADHD, which that could be a whole other topic of attention deficit and hyperactivity disorder or attention deficit. Um, there's a tendency to take certain kinds of medications that are like amphetamines or uppers and to uh, get more focus. And there tends to be a lot of children being put on these really early on in life. And what I I found interesting throughout this conversation with the GI doctor today is that she recognized in people she's close to that they were being put on a lot of medications for, you know, depression, anxiety, and this attention deficit, and they're having abdominal pain and And it took a long time for her and this person she cared about to unravel all of this and deal with more of the root cause. And it takes a lot of patience and belief that there are ways that you can help yourself without always, you know, throwing that pill in your mouth. And of course, these particular individuals, um, from her personal experience, she recognized, despite her traditional training, that people can get better without all these diagnoses that really don't help you understand what's going on and um, really getting away from some of these medications that could have potential horrible side effects. But any, any thoughts on that, Dr. Kevin? Well, well hearing that, um, 
and and not to be the the super negative one. I go, how many kids were on the schedule then? Well, my particular room, I had a four. And, okay, uh, and, and, almost and, all of them. Well, so and this, this is the reason I'm asking it. Is this is this is also prototypical of healthcare? Is you have somebody says, oh yeah, and my friends and family, I'm recognizing this is so much bigger or whatever. But then in their common practice, they're scoping everybody rather than putting them through a prehab program. And um, now, granted, I, I understand the concept why there's no incentive to do the right thing in medicine. There's none. And it is much easier to do these, you know, when they're putting a tube down your mouth and they're putting a tube up your rectum in kids that are young. Uh, and these are not risk-free procedures. But, but the incentive is to do all this crap, reinforce this idea that something is horribly wrong with them. And then after they say, oh, nothing, actually, I shouldn't say that. A lot of times they'll say, well, there, we didn't see anything, or we actually saw a small ulcer. And then you tell someone in a vulnerable population that, and it's like, holy crap, I've got ulcers, I'm going to be doomed. But I mean, it, it, there's, you know, there's just so much there because we have this society that is essentially stressed out and people go, oh, my problems aren't due to stress. I don't care who you are, stress is going to have an effect on you. Mentally, physically, everything. A stress response in your body is not gently related to your brain. It is, it, if you see a, a tiger, whether you, the tiger's real or not, if you believe the tiger's real, you're going to have a physiological response there. And rather than like, not believing that or not really encouraging and understanding how that relates to the physicalness of these symptoms, we reinforce them. And then once we put them through the ringer, they have the scope, they have everything else. We put them on the Ritalins and the, what's the other one that's really popular? Um, which are basically amphetamines, just like you said. And then when it's all said and done, then we maybe will we'll, we'll say, let's, let's address the root issue here. You're stressed out, you're pushed too hard, you have 42 classes, you have 16 hours of homework every day, uh, and your parents are telling you you have to get 1600 on the ACT or SAT. I mean, it, it, it just drives me crazy. Just trying to be crazy. Yeah. Yeah. The, the GI doctor I spoke with actually has um, really looked outside of her traditional training because of her experience and looked at some of the, you know, looked at the Institute of Functional Medicine to look at some of the ways they would go about looking at nutrition and lifestyle factors and, and how um, to help with that. And uh, of course, she knows that, you know, these are things that, you know, it's really hard to get paid as a clinician for some of these, you know, the time spent and, and all the necessary things to really radically, you know, change your life and really help the patient believe that they can change these things. Um, and it's, it's hard for them to make that connection. You know, it's kind of like you, you talk about pain. It's, there's multiple things that can impact your pain. And there's, um, you know, when it comes to abdominal pain, it's really no different, um, you know, stress and lack of sleep. And that was something that she was noticing too on some of these uh, children that they're watching or playing these ga or gamers and they're playing to like two in the morning and they have to get up early for school and they're not, they're not understanding the consequences of their actions. Um, and so she was just, everything started, is starting to make sense to her. Um, but it's the same dilemma that we have with trying to reach people out there to, to help them understand the things they can do to, you know, change their situation. And um, it's, it's remarkable the lengths that people go through to try to fix something and, and not recognize that they have the power within themselves to, to change it. Um, 
but you know, I was trying to think of some of the things you were saying about, you know, how everything's connected and, and how your stress and emotions can affect, you know, physically can manifest physically. And, you know, even something as simple as your feelings or thoughts or the stress, um, when someone's embarrassed, like you can physically manifest, you know, you can get flushed, you know, right across the chest or, you know, on your face. And there's so many ways that you can manifest physically from thoughts, emotions, stress, and all of these things together that um, people have to realize that that is truly a possibility that there's other things. Well, we, we look at this, the words that we use. And you have, um, you have a horrible, awful situation. You hear something bad happen to a friend. What, what, oh my God, I have a pit in my stomach. Now, where, where does that language come from? You know, or, or this, you know, people think love's in their heart or you feel that warmthness in there. Um, it, it's just, you, you cannot separate the two. And the, the key thing I think for anybody to understand is it's not either or. It's not either physical or it's emotional or it's stress or it's, or I have something real in me. It's all real. What the question then becomes is where is the what I call the primary contributor? And if the primary contributor is the symptoms, and the symptoms, what are symptoms? Symptoms are things that are subjective, meaning that they're you're, they're unique to you. They're when you have like when you're saying, "Oh, I have pain." Pain is this expression, or it's a construction in your brain that's telling you this stuff. But it, that that is an experience that you're having. And so when the experience is the primary contributor that you are treating. How we treat that is very different than say you have a broken leg. And if you have a broken leg, we want to make sure the leg is put together and we're going to talk about the pain and we're going to talk about anything else. But the focus of care is on that primary contributor, whether or not you have pain. But if you have horrible leg pain or if you have this stress and you have horrible anxiety and your stomach feels tight and in knots all the time, it doesn't make sense to go chop your stomach out when that, when, you know, you're, you may be having this experience or these symptoms there, but we're, we sh it doesn't make sense to go down there and chop it out simply because we could, because we could do that. Right. But it's going to, it's ignoring the fundamental issues. It's ignoring this thing up here. And, um, you know, like what you were saying though, the, the innate capability of the body and brain to heal is profound. And we've done a crappy poor job of it in healthcare. We've diseasified it, told people they're the they're pathetic, they're broken, um, that you need every pill or supplement on TV because you just we just don't have the capacity to heal. And it's, it's nonsense. The body is so much more strong and resilient than people give it credit for. Yeah. Yeah, there's, um, I was thinking about, uh, in particular, a patient that, um, <sighs> I mean, just the lack of understanding of how the body works and, you know, just generally speaking is so prevalent. Um, and of course, I, we, I think we sometimes take for granted us in the medical field, this becomes kind of part of our like common knowledge. And so um, we would assume that sometimes people would, you know, understand some basic concepts. Um, but even just one of, one of the, uh, the teenagers is, was, you know, wasn't able, wasn't fully prepped and, and, and still didn't have uh, a clean colon for, for doing the colonoscopy. And it was very clear that this, this patient is backed up and there's just, I mean, there's, he's very constipated. <laughs> and so, you know, by golly, there's going to be some problems. And 
difficulties, um, possibly, you know, bloating, gas, pain, um, some bleeding because you're, you're trying to force things out. So, you know, and bowel. yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff you can create with that. And, and, you know, younger kids don't conceptually get the whole diet and, and the importance of real food, not things that come out of some, you know, some factory that you don't even recognize any of the ingredients, you know, so, um, you know, just that in and of itself. And then, then I was stuck with a situation where, um, you know, someone who is of mental, the mental capacity, maybe not able to focus, but mental capacity to be able to receive an IV um, is wanting to, you know, be masked down um, to have the IV. And I kind of, I fought that, and I didn't fight it in their eyes. I just said, well, have they I, had that before? Uh, I don't know. Um, didn't go into that depth. But because when I hear that, I'm like, you have to have an idea that that's even a possibility to even ask for it, which means uh, I'm like, the, yeah, I think the nurse said it. Oh, mom. I was like, how many, how many procedures have you had done that you know that that's even a possibility? Even though we do it in like four year olds, but right, right. Well, you have to understand this is a bigger, little bit you know, fluffier person. So mm -hmm. I, I just immediately said, you know, in my opinion, that is going to be uh, more uncomfortable and more challenging because it takes longer time to get you asleep than someone who's like a little baby at, you know, it doesn't take very long. And I said, um, you know, if you need to, you know, focus on the TV and distract yourself, um, you know, I think it's really important to get the IV. The great thing about the IV is that once you have it, it's a very smooth and quick way to go to sleep. And as soon as we're done, you just, you know, you wake up and within minutes and it's, and it's easy peasy. Um, but I had to, you have to create the structure of like the amount of pain or risk involved, even though they just want the easy out and not have to deal with some discomfort. And that's, to me, I was seeing that was a big problem, a high heightened anxiety, heightened concern, heightened sense of need to protect himself or herself. And so there was a lot of re redirecting and reframing it. Otherwise they wouldn't, they were going to jerk um, and move away and, and cause more problems trying to show that they don't like it. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's really interesting having to read people and interpret them. And, but it's, it's so much easier when you just see them as how vigilant are they? Are they <laughs> hypervigilant and are they looking like they're in the sympathetic, you know, bright eyed looking and they need to protect themselves and um the energy they they give off i mean you can almost palpate it it's you can like feel that and um so you can't go into that with intensity or <laughs> they're gonna fight you um and make it you'll make it worse so it's very it's interesting how you have to weave into that situation and we ended up getting an id um and so it made things simpler but you know um, you see this tendency of people that are really hypervigilant and really concerned and pain. Like, I can't tell you a precise study on that, but you tend to see they have a heightened response to painful stimulus. Well, and, they, and, they, and you can also, what you can say is people with persistent pain have typically have um, many other comorbidities. And I'm going to use the word physical, although I hate that word because we're somehow distinguishing the two. Um, but they have multiple comorbidities. And it and it, it makes perfect sense, again, just like you were talking about when you're looking at how they see the world. 
And so when we're looking at things like past or past trauma, early life stressors, it, and, and if your brain is subjected to that and the brain's job is to try to make sense of the world in order to keep you alive, that's its primary point of existence, it's gonna adapt and it's gonna see threat easier than brains that weren't in that environment. So if you were in an abusive relationship or you were abused as a child or you were in a neglectful household or uh, you had horrible, awful things occur, you know, that doesn't mean you're crazy, doesn't mean you're faking it, doesn't mean anything other than the fact that your brain's trying to protect you. And when it's being very aggressive about that and it's seeing threats so easy, again, it's not either or, it's and. There's going to be physical symptoms with it. And so I think one of the importance about emphasizing, appreciating that, can, whether you have a broken bone or, or whatever, is the fact of the matter, if you learn the skills and you understand why your brain's trying to do it, you decrease the fear associated with these symptoms that are vague and uncertain and understand basically some you know education about how the body works framed in such a way that it's positive rather than your broken damage and you know however else what we able so it, you know people can get better and then the nice thing about that is when you start talking about resiliency and understanding pain and you start talking about stress and, and uh you know how how we globally calm the stuff down it the side effects like a drug you take a drug and it's like, I'm taking this for this. And what's the side effects? Headache, nausea, blurred vision, dizziness, you know, whatever. The side effects of what we're talking about, which is basically understanding and awareness, um, you know, stress mastery skills, resiliency, and, and uh, reducing uncertainty is not only decreasing the symptoms and pain, is actually tend to see the physical manifestations go down as well. Mm-hmm. So... <laughs> It, it, it just is, it is the more, the, the more you learn and understand this stuff, the more you just get, well, if you're me, the more you get frustrated at just how bad we do about taking care of people. I mean, right. it's, it's just unbelievable. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because, um, a perfect example, a lot of examples today and, um, in another patient and how the, well, first of all, I recognize that all three other siblings, three or four, um, irregardless, it, it happens in, in multiple situations where they all have ADHD. They all are probably on the same medication. And, um, and then you recognize, the, you know, you think about, you know, you're talking about genetics versus, you know, your environment. And, and uh, one thing that, um, you know, some people use the, the, the analogy um, or metaphor of the loaded gun is kind of like the um, the genetics and and usually oh, that's so threatening. it does sound threatening, doesn't it? So we yeah. need to find a different one. I, I would could, I would call that you have you know if you have a pot, there's cracks in the pot, right? If you mm-hmm. if you craft the pot and then you fire it, there's some imperfections in there that make it what it is. Right. But it doesn't mean that this you know it's not going to crack open. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you can, you can have this genetic potential and your environment and your life and how you live your life can unveil that genetic potential. Um, and so, you know, given, you know, the, the fact that stressful childhood events, you know, can make you more predisposed to chronic pain and other issues and illnesses. Um, it's interesting around the nurturing aspect. Um, when one of these children have a parent, when I'm speaking to a child, or a teenager, and I sense and see in my peripheral vision the reactions of a parent, and in in kind of like this, like you know, everything I'm saying, like it's like 
like a big deal on my <laughs> and I'm thinking the the imprinting on a child and the concern and and level of vigilance and and need for protection is being conveyed from a parent and people don't realize that even if you don't show it which I could definitively feel <laughs> from seeing it um, there's also a sense the child can feel that these intangibles um, based on how they know that parent and whatnot so um, you know so this is like a perpetual uh, you kind of perpetuate this this issue of, of protection because of course a mother or father's there is a certain innate desire to protect them and keep them safe but um, if you if you want to have some resilience within your child there also has to be a belief that they that they can handle this and um, and, and you need to empower and, and as is easier said than done, but there has to be some point where you, you know, you can let them feel like they're in a safe place. Um, otherwise, you know, this person was apparently crying before I got there and I try to find every which way I could to make them feel safe. Um, because I do feel like it impacts, you know, even the anesthesia and, and their nervous system while they're asleep. So people don't realize that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, I, I think that this topic, we don't really talk about abdominal pain in the last few times, but I think it's that perfect situation where in these cases, they didn't find anything, like nothing that was significant other than functional, like, you know, constipation well, and this. And, that. That, and that's the likelihood that it was going to be, right? Mm -hmm. Especially in these young kids. Right. And that brings up the whole topic of fun functional gastrointestinal disorders which um which which is absolutely fascinating because if you read the literature on functional gastrointestinal disorders you can replace that big long name functional gid with pain it's the exact same thing mm -hmm. and so when if we're talking about like genetic um vulnerabilities or risks it i, I kind of look at it this way as okay what, what genes just provide a, a basic vulnerability it's not destiny in any way shape or form but it's how you're going to express it how are the, how is when you are under significant distress, what's the triggering agent that your body's going to use to inform you? For some people, pain is pretty universal. Other people, it's things like functional GI disorders. Other people, it could be things like palpitations. Other people would be shortness of breath, headaches. Um, uh, for some of us, it's insomnia. Uh, so that's, that's the one that I've picked up was and I think you know looking back on it my grandmother had insomnia so maybe there was a genetic predisposition to that and that's how we arised um but it's just being coming aware of that and then you, you touched on the thing of basically of helicoptering and it, so we here I am saying well the medical system diseasifies the the you know the health of everybody and tells everybody that they're vulnerable unfortunately by trying to do our best as parents to protect our children we're basically telling them that they're weak and vulnerable and we're not giving them the space in order for them to grow and develop it's like the you know there's this analogy and i don't remember if i heard this somewhere or, or what but it's like you know we, if we treated kids from the time they were born like how we helicopter them once they're like conscious and talking nobody would walk because as soon as the baby was trying to get up and fell down once, we'd be like, don't try that again. You might fall down and hit your head or skin your knee, but we don't do that. But on the same time, if the baby's trying to, to you know, as the top of the stairs and is trying to walk, we're going to grab them because you have, your job as a parent is to measure the risk. Is this going to be a fall that they're going to learn from? And they're going to learn some skill sets in order to pull themselves up it. Or is this really the catastrophic thing where if they do something, they're going to fall down six flights of stairs. You stop them when they're at the six flights of stairs, but when there's other things that's important learning, we do. 
and it's it's really it, now granted it's hard to do as a parent i'm a parent i have two kids i love them to death and the ability to step back and actually let them to fail mm -hmm. you, you you have to be conscious and say in this situation what are the downsides you know skin knee hurt feelings or whatever it's better for them to learn that now while i am here to carry them through the process and recover then to not develop those skills leave the house and now what are they going to do then they go to college and there's this epidemic in college where these kids have no no emotional regulation they have no skills they can't cope with high stress environments because they've never had to do it before right and stress is not any easier like it's the worst it's worse condition. Yeah, I'd say it's worse. And, you know, it's like anything that like health and all this stuff is, it's a process of learning. And those baby steps we take are called baby steps because those are the little challenges. Now, if the baby, again, never learned to walk and then all of a sudden we kicked him out of the house at 18 and said, you've got to go, you know, run a marathon and, and work in the fields or whatever. Absolutely no coping strategy. We have to do all that early development again for him or at least put them in an environment where they can start learning is that's super challenging. So you're basically setting them up to have a much more challenging life by trying to protect them so much in such an early age or feeding into this, you know, I, when you see multiple family members on the same set of, particularly things like, like ADHD medications, that, that always sends up some red flags for me. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not to say is people, Oh, ADHD is not a real thing. No, ADHD is a real thing, but there's a spectrum from all of this stuff. And I guarantee you, we have actually published data on this, that we are way, 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 way over diagnosing this and over medicating kids. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's uh, you know, it's, I, I said something about, um, you know, this idea um, about the world is more stressful, but I guess it's all relative because, um, those that are more resilient don't find the things that are what seem to be more stressful as stressful and the people that are not resilient they're probably just as stressed someone who has way more going on <laughs> they're more stressed with something smaller um, when you look at the grand scheme of different stresses so I mean that's it's all subjective um, but uh, yeah no I think that there's um, it's hard you don't want to shame parents um, but they, it has to start from, you know, what we're providing. It's just like anything in the pain world. You know, if you're, if you're just giving them something like diagnosing and, and giving them a strong conviction that there's nothing else they can do other than take this pill, then they, and they buy into that and they do that, then where's, where's the incentive, you know, to go do other things. If you're, I mean, if you're not motivated to do anything else, then you become dependent on that. Um, and then, you know, potential for withdrawal from that. I mean, there's so many other complexities that come along with it, but, um, you know, I think, I think I wanted to bring this topic up because it's so prevalent. I mean, there's, <laughs> there's kids left and right that are on medications. And I, I even told one of the children who happened to be working on coming off of medications and strongly because of the mother, um, she actually has gotten sick of the medications that that's you know that i mean i i just said i'm i'm extreme that's you know i'm very proud of you for coming to those realizations and um you know that's something that to, to make that switch i think it's really because of the the role model and the mother that's guiding them but if you don't have buy-in from the parent or the physician that's explaining things 
uh, doesn't, doesn't give them some other way of looking at something, then they don't even have a chance unless they just learn, you know, the hard way. Um, or like or there, there's a percentage that gets sick of it and are just done. Right. Right. And, and um, well, they don't tell you, you don't hear about them. And then they just, the, the, the thing that's a little bit upsetting for me though, is they get sick and done. And in some ways that's a good thing. Cause then they kind of excreted from a system that is just like pounding them with pills and procedures and all this crap. Um, but they still have the issue unless they've learned another way. Right. They've just decided the medical system's not up in nature to it. So how, how best then can we educate and form? I like how you, there was a tagline you said at the very beginning of this information and inspiration, you know, so, so how can we do that? And that's kind of the point of this podcast is just point out there's some ridiculousness here. Um, you're not going to, there's in the healthcare system itself, there's a, there really is a disincentive. It's not like there's this vast conspiracy thing. The incentives are simply not aligned to keep people healthy. They're aligned to do crap to people. That's how it is. And so for you is to recognize that, hey, it's not either you're stressed or you've got you know, some horrible thing going on in your stomach. It's and your stress is going to affect whatever you have. And so rather than you know, neglecting that, Stress, stress skills are, are key in understanding resiliency and becoming comfortable with uncertainty in an uncertain world is also very key. Um, but those are things that you can develop. And if you get those, if you start developing those skill sets and you start passing them down to your kids, they're, they're self-replicating. And the side effects of them, just like we, you know, we're talking about, affect basically every other organ system in positive, not negative ways. Right. So, yeah, it's, I think, uh, you know, the message for today's podcast is um, it's, it's empowering to recognize the capacity you have to help yourself and to seek out those role models or the leaders, people that understand that there are ways that you can help yourself deal with stress and deal with various types of challenges in life. And, um, you know, I'll end with just the idea that this uh, one of the particular patients, I made a comment uh, with reframing and just, you know, she was already on her path of recognizing the importance of not relying just on pills. And, um, you know, I just said, you know, humans have been getting around, getting along and, and, and surviving for centuries and without all these pills. And that's got to tell you something. Like we, we are a resilient species and we have the capacity for healing and for improving our lives. And yes, there are hard times and there's some, you know, hangups and we need, we may need help from time to time, but um, we have way more power in our life than we ever give ourselves credit for. Absolutely. No, I hundred percent agree. And that's the whole thing is how do you, how do we encourage and educate people on the, the, the bodies and brains are resilient and strong. And if there's, if, if they're feeling weaker at a moment, how do we, how do we develop the skill sets to strengthen them? If you have a, a weak leg, it's, you're not going to like, again, cut your leg off. It's like, how do we strengthen my leg? How can I lift bigger weights? Am I going to go off and lift 5,000 pounds today? No, but let me start with five pounds and let's develop it, develop that muscle. Health is like a muscle develop. You can develop a muscle and you can, it, it, it's just amazing how the capability of the body to heal. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, never, never give up and, and just always keep exploring. Um, there's, there's some way somehow that you can help yourself or uh, find ways to improve your situation. I, I really believe that in almost most cases and almost all cases, um, 
uh, time is also your friend too, um, but that's something that sometimes takes time to really believe that. Um, any, any final thoughts, Dr. Kevin, on our, our little podcast on uh, gastrointestinal pain and various cultural things? <laughs> no, I, I think that was good. I think we, we touched on, you know, every time we do this, I'm like, oh, we could talk about this. We could talk about, there's so many, so many nuggets inside the episode that, that we could just delve deeper in. But the, I think the, the key thing one is recognizing stress, wrecking always all those stressors that your body and your brain are going to tell you when you're stressed. It's not just, you know, um, and just being, understanding the capability of the body to heal. That's, that's the, the biggest thing. This idea that you've been, has been propagated. We can, t- I don't know if you have talked about pharmaceutical marketing yet, but the, the idea that somehow every symptom that you have needs a pill. Otherwise, well, they never really say otherwise what I'm not sure, but you need it. Um, is just it's just a joke. You're, you're, you, the real the, the reality is that we need significantly less of this stuff. You can heal. It's better for you. It's uh, it's certainly a better investment of your time, energy, and your money, so that you can actually you know you're not on expensive medications anymore. So that's the, I guess that's why we're here though. Is we do a little bit of inspiration and education and information on. Uh, and we'll touch on some of those in future episodes as well. Right, and I think that our messages will um, repeat themselves because it really is a similar theme, but um, talking in different contexts. But uh, thank you for joining us on this uh, episode of the Pandora podcast with Dr. Kevin and myself, Dr. Katie. And uh, if you have any special topics, there will be different places where you can make suggestions that maybe you'd like for us to touch on. We'd be happy to touch on those things too. And uh, until next time, as Dr. Kevin says, be well. Take care, folks. Thank you for joining us today on the Pain Door Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please let us know through a five-star rating on iTunes or your current podcast listening service. And be sure to check out the information and resources available at Pandora.com.